suppose that in every group of people, there is a person to whom we would look and suppose that that person would be a, a representative of our ideals and our goals. For instance, those of us who live here in the United States look back to George Washington. We refer to him as the father of our country. The goals, the ideals that were expressed among those early settlers who wanted freedom of religion, who wanted freedom from taxation, who wanted all of these features to be a part of our nation. I found it interesting in visiting the country of Turkey. They also had the father of their nation. His name was Ataturk. And when you start thinking about the father of the faithful, the one to whom we would look back and say, this man represents the faithfulness of people to God, you would look back to Abraham. In fact, if you study through the Gospel of John and you listen to Jesus preach, he often points the people back to Abraham and their being Abraham's children. When you study further and you go to the book of Acts and you get to the sermon of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, Stephen focuses the beginning back to Abraham as the father of the faithful. There's so many aspects to Abraham's life that a person could consider. This morning we're going to talk about Abraham generating fraternity. Now I know that may not sound like that's a normal title. But let me talk to you about fraternity for just a minute. In fact, the term fraternity has often got a negative connotation to it because of what occurs in the universities and the colleges across our country. Fraternities have become, for the most part, nothing more than places where orgies occur. Drunkenness takes place. They're not what they once were. Now they've just become an association of people seeking a very immoral life. But yet the term fraternity simply means brotherhood. And that's something that Abraham sought with Lot. It's something that he tried to practice in his life. And I think it's something that you and I ought to look for as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter writes, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. In chapter 3 and verse 8, he would write, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. The writer of the book of Hebrews simply put it in chapter 13 and verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. Now we've looked at three previous lessons, or two previous lessons, Abraham was God's friend. He was a great father. We're going to look at him generating fraternity. And then, Lord willing, two weeks from today, we're going to talk about him as being guided by faith. But this morning, we're going to focus on three things we think about Abraham and his seeking of brotherhood. The first one will be a portrait of brotherhood in the life of Abraham. We're going to look at chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Genesis and see how he illustrated that in his life. Second of all, we're going to look at a practice in the Bible 
of brotherhood and in fact the lack thereof. It's worth taking some time to look through the scriptures and see how people treated one another as brothers. And then finally, some principles for behavior. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at the portrait of Abraham as he sought brotherhood. Look with me again to chapter 13 and verse 8. While you're looking there, you'll notice that Abraham is dealing with his nephew, Lot. He said, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. That phrase, we are brethren, certainly should capture our attention. What does it mean for Abraham to look at Lot and say, we're brethren? They're related. But Abraham is seeking peace and harmony between him. As you start looking at this, you see that there's a source of the conflict. Look with me at verse 2 and then verses 6 and 7. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. You drop down to verse 6 and it says, Now the lamb was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Sometimes blessings can also contain difficulties. I'd suggest to you that even in the life of Abraham and Sarah, the fact that she was a beautiful woman brought with itself a number of difficulties. Genesis 12, Genesis 20, Abraham deceived first Pharaoh and then Abimelech, saying that Sarah was his sister. The reason because they were fearful because of her beauty. Having wealth, having beauty, having fame having an extraordinary amount of intelligence can also bring with them some difficulties. And in this case, because Abraham had a lot and because Lot possessed a lot, then the two of them had difficulty dwelling together. Their flocks, there was only so much pasture land. Their herds and the money that they possessed. But Abraham also recognized that the strife was not good. He said, we don't want there to be strife between you and me, between our herdsmen. Strife is never a good thing. In Proverbs 17 and verse 14, Solomon writes, the beginning of strife is like the releasing of water. Therefore stop contention before a quarrel starts. What Abraham was seeking to do was to prevent strife between. We we recognize now that there's a situation and it's not good. What can we do to alleviate this problem? In chapter 20 verses or 26 verses 20 and 21, Solomon would also say, where there's no wood, the fire goes out, and where there's no tailbearer, strife ceases. And charcoal is to burning coals as wood is to fire so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Abraham was going to say, I am not going to be the source of the strife. I'm going to try to seek a solution so that we don't have strife. And sometimes people who try to force things 
as in the case of Proverbs 30, verse 33, they bring about strife. He recognized that in chapter 18 and verse 19 of Proverbs, that a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Sometimes after this kind of strife brawls together with one another, soon it develops into a situation that you can't resolve it. And so now as he recognizes there's a source of it, let's try to seek a solution for it. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.23 to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing they generate strife. We ought to look at Abraham and say, Abraham is an example of a man who sees the source of strife. He knows strife is not good and we strive to get rid of it. But Abraham knows that selfishness is not the answer. When you and I try to say, I want what I want, that's when the strife only becomes more difficult. So what does Abraham propose to Lot? He says, Lot, you take what's on the left, I'll take what's on the right. Or if you so choose, you take what's on the right and I'll take what's on the left. There was no selfishness on the part of Abraham. He allowed Lot to choose first, and Lot chose the well-watered plains of where there was much grass. But I'd suggest too, when you go to chapter 14, you see Abraham also striving to be a good brother. If you'll notice with me, chapter 14 and verse 14. Now when Abram heard his brother was taken captive, he armed 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as to Dan. If you'll remember that Lot was taken captive along with the kings and the people of the plain, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar. And they were taken by the kings of the north, and Abraham pursued and rescued Lot and the others. He was a brother in need. You know, when Abraham heard of what had taken place with Lot, he could have said, well, Lot chose the best of the land, and... He got what he deserved. Or he could have said, Lot is now on his own and Lot can take care of himself. No. What Abraham did, he saw that he had a brother in need. In fact, 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Lot was in need. And Abraham saw it. He didn't shut up his heart of compassion from him. Just like 1 John 3.17 says some do. And ask the question, how does the love of God abide in him? He acted upon it. It was not just talk. He didn't say, well, I hope things work out well for Lot and for those others who are with him. You know, going to verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's not just talk about saying, oh, I love the church, I love the brethren. Do something about it. Show that you love them. In James 2, verses 14 through 16, 
What does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Be warmed and filled, depart in peace, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? You see, the point made by James is God doesn't want us just to say that we believe. He doesn't want us to just say we love our brethren. He wants us to do something about it. In Proverbs seventeen seventeen, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You see, there's a time when difficulties come. You should be able to depend upon your family. That's what a brother was born for, for adversity. When you start looking at what Abraham did for Lot, he rescued Lot. You and I need to think about the rescuing of our brethren. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, when one of us finds ourselves being taken captive, as Lot was, what do we do? He says here to restore such a one. James puts it like this. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. As I look at the portrait of Abraham presented in Genesis chapters 13 and 14, I see a man who truly does want brotherhood, seeks brotherhood, and practices brotherhood. But now let's step back just a minute. Let's broaden our perspective. Let's look through the Bible. And let's see if everybody tries to do that. And you obviously say, well, I know they don't. Let me just throw up some examples for you. You remember Cain and Abel. You remember those two young men offered their sacrifices to the Lord? God had respect to the sacrifice of Abel, but he did not have respect for the sacrifice of Cain. Cain became angry, and the Bible says his countenance fell, and he slew his brother Abel. Do you remember when God came and approached Cain and said, Where is your brother Abel? That he responded by saying, Am I my brother's keeper? Well, let's answer that question. Am I my brother's keeper? God expected Cain to be his brother's keeper, to keep his life, to treat him well. Yet he did not. Or, for instance, think about Jacob and Esau. Do you remember Isaac favored Esau? Rebekah favored Jacob? Those two young men were just as different as daylight and dark. They had different interests. They had different desires. But one thing was common. They both wanted the birthright. Jacob wanted it a little more than Esau did. 
Jacob purchased the birthright from Esau and after that produced a kind of hatred, ill will between those two young men, so much that Jacob even had to flee to his mother's people so that Esau wouldn't kill him. And he worried when he returned home that Esau would kill him. Or think about Joseph and his brothers. You remember the favoritism that Jacob had for Joseph? He made him a coat of many colors. Joseph was a man of dreams. When he was sent by his father to check on the brothers while they were feeding the flocks, he arrives and his brothers look at him and say, Look at this dreamer of dreams who's come here. They take him and throw him in a pit. There were going to kill him, but ultimately sell him to some Ishmaelite traders. All of you know well that later on in life, Joseph arose to second in position among the Egyptians. Those brothers worried when they went and Joseph made himself known to them, fearing that Joseph would somehow treat them badly. Joseph didn't. Joseph loved his brothers much better than they loved him. I know some of you women may be saying, oh yeah, that's just like a bunch of men that can't get along, like a bunch of brothers. But I remind you that there was strife between Rachel and Leah. You remember those two girls, sisters, who married Jacob and they both were in a race to see who could have the most children to get one up upon another? Or think about Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10, Mary wants to sit at Jesus' feet. Martha wants to get the dinner prepared. And Martha says to Jesus, My sister has left me to serve alone. Bid her that she will help me. I could go on and on. You remember Philippians chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche? There are men and there are women who sometimes don't practice brotherly love like the Bible teaches. But you see, the problem is, is when it gets to be on a larger scale, when not only is the problem between two people, but then it expands to two families, to two groups of people. Let me give you a few illustrations. The Edomites hated the Israelites. How do I know that? The whole book of Obadiah was written about the anger that existed between the Edomites toward the Israelites. In verses 10 through 14, he says, For the violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem... Even you were as one of them. You see what was happening as the enemies of Israel were coming against them. Edom was sitting on the sidelines saying, get them, get them. But not only that, you look further. Verse 12, you should not have gazed on the day of your brother and the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. 
Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance. You know what happened? The Edomites stood on the side while Judah, Israel, was being destroyed and said, let them have it. And then as they began to be destroyed, they were beginning to take their own possessions for themselves. Let's come to the New Testament. In the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think sometimes when we read that parable, we often just focus on the Samaritan alone. But do you realize that the Lord talked about a man who fell among thieves? He was beaten, he was robbed, and he was left half dead. A priest comes by. A Levite comes by. Both of them are brethren. What do they do? They look, they observe, and they pass on by. But I want you to look carefully at verses 33 through 35. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring in them oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Jesus said, which of these do you think proved neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Who was the one exhibited brotherly love? Do you know what the Lord was trying to do? He was trying to point out that these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, these real hypocrites, were saying they loved God and they were saying they loved their fellow man, but they weren't acting like it. Sometimes we can come to services and we can sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, and blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, and then yet not speak to a brother or sister. The Pharisees looked at themselves and they looked at others and they said, I'm better than you are. In fact, Jesus explained it this way in Luke 18, verse 9. He spoke a parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. You know about the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know what they did. How the Pharisee stood, he prayed thus with himself, Father, I thank you I'm not like other men. How that the tax collector would not even so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself on the breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Why did the Lord use this parable? It's because sometimes we can become so self-righteous that we look at our brethren who are struggling with sin and we think, they're not as good and as valuable as me. I want to tell you, Abraham provides a much better portrait of a man who exhibits brotherly love than you see in many of these people's lives. When you get to Acts chapter 10, you have Peter having a vision of the great sheep being let down with all kinds of animals on it. He's told to rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. Nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The Lord tells him not to call what he has cleansed common or unclean. 
When Peter awakes from that vision, he realizes that there's something that has taken place. You get to verse 28 and he says to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jew, Jewish man, to keep company with one or go into one of another nation. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Folks, that is an important phrase. God has shown me not to call any man common or unclean. He goes on to say, God doesn't show partiality. Look at verse 35. But in every nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by Him. That means whatever nation you come from. If you are willing to accept God and His Son Jesus Christ and do what He says, God will accept you. Oh, what a real problem that was. When Paul gets to Acts chapter 17, he makes it clear that God made of one blood all men to dwell on the face of the earth. Now let's talk about some principles of behavior real quickly here. Jesus commanded everyone to love their brethren just like he loved them. I'd suggest to you that if you look at the context in which these statements were made, you will find people who had a problem loving themselves too much. He said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In Mark 12, he's dealing with the command, a question about which is the greatest commandment. And he said the first is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I think about Abraham now. He stands out in my mind. Here's a man who loves his brethren. What's God expecting out of me? In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him. That he who loves God must love his brother also. If we're going to be claiming to be God's children, if we're going to claim to be followers of Abraham, we've got to love our brethren. Loving our brethren sometimes, though, requires a lot of effort and a lot of patience. Here's something that might surprise you. I'm not always lovable. You don't believe that? Ask my family. And guess what? You're not always lovable either. And that means that we've got to put a little effort into it. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, Bearing with one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Endeavoring. Put your effort into it. Or the way Peter put it, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You show your love to one another and you like it. Don't grumble about it. Now here's something else that I learned from some principles of our Lord. And that is that brotherhood means parity. It means equality. No one of us is better than another. In God's eyes, there is no clergy and no laity. How do I know that? Listen to Matthew 23, verse 8. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. You are all brethren. There's not a one of us that is better than the other. And that's the reason why Paul would write things like Romans 12, 3. He says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. Philippians chapter 2, he tells us, If anything, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. As I made reference earlier, Acts 17, 26, from one blood, God made every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. So that means it doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white, you are precious in his sight. That means we should be seeking forgiveness rather than factions. That means as brethren, we ought to be striving to forgive one another from the heart. Matthew 18, verse 21, Jesus said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother and sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. I like when you get down to verse 35, he says that if you, each of you, from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's not of uh, where I say, okay, I forgive him. I bury the hatchet and I leave the handle sticking out. No, it's you forgive from your heart. It's a kind of forgiveness that says, I'm going to seek it from you as well as you from me. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24 said, you know, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Seek it. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13, chapter 6, verse 8, chapter 11, verse 22. He talks about the division that existed there. You get to chapter 6, he talks about their cheating their brethren. Chapter 11, he talks about these people who are shaming their brethren. None of that should ever take place among us. And God hates those who sow discord among the brethren. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. And the last phrase is, one who sows discord among his brethren. Abraham is a true example of a man who sought brotherhood 
And we ought to be doing it. In our attitudes and our actions, are we going to be perfect? No, but we're going to strive for it. But I think about the family. You know, those of us who are children of God, those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to seek to expand the family. Mark 3, verse 35, Jesus, for whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. I'm going to tell you the greatest thing that could happen this morning, the greatest thing, is to have a new brother or a new sister in Christ. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Him and be baptized, the Lord will add you to His body, the church. Your sins will be forgiven, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.47. And if you are a brother or a sister struggling with sin, we don't look down on you. We put our arms around you and say we love you. And we'll pray to God with you that God will forgive you as a loving father does. Would you come while together we stand and sing?